You are likely listening to this podcast because you have big dreams for your podcast, right? So stop for a moment and think about that. Have you really defined what are your big dreams? What are the things you want to see in service to your audience and in benefit to you? I think it's important that you really think that through and realize as you do, it's going to be a terrifying process getting there. That may not seem really intuitive to you. That's going to be terrifying. You might think of it as all sunshine and unicorns and rainbows, but I'm telling you, it's tough. And my guest on today's episode, Maria Faella, can tell you that exact same story. In fact, those are her words, that the process is terrifying because you're putting yourself out there. You're not sure if anybody is really going to appreciate what it is you're doing. And that process can be intimidating, frightening, and very disheartening at times. I think from this episode, you're going to learn from Maria's story how you can persevere and continue trying new things and listen to your audience and find out that your podcast dreams just might be possible after all. My name is Carrie Green, and I am the Client Happiness Guy at PodcastFastTrack.com, and this is Podcastification. Podcastification is all about you, teaching you how to podcast, how to put into practice the best practices that I and my team have learned in working with hundreds of clients. You are going to podcast better from listening to this show. If you like what you hear on Podcastification, please just hit the pause button, swipe to the sharing function on your app, and share this episode with somebody you know will benefit. And if you'd like to get in on more Podcastification goodness, you can do it by subscribing to our Podcast Optimizer email series. And I promise you, you won't get lots of junk. You'll just get one actionable email a week. Go to podcastfasttrack.com slash optimizer. That is enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. All right, Maria Faella, how are you doing today? So good. Can't believe having been your client now on your podcast. What a fun turn of events. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about who can I tap to extract some information about monetization. And you were one of the first clients who came to mind because you've walked a circuitous route when it comes to monetization, a lot of different things that you've tried. So let's start where you're at right now. Tell us about your show, about your audience, what it's for and who it's for. And then where are you in terms of monetization for your show? So my name is Maria. I'm the founder and host of the Bloom and Grow radio podcast. The title comes from the line Bloom and Grow Forever from Edelweiss, which is one of my favorite songs from The Sound of Music. And the intention of Bloom and Grow radio is to help everyone care for plants successfully and grow more joy in their lives by doing so. It's been a long and windy road over the last, I guess, five years now I've been podcasting. We were fortunate enough to be a Webby honoree a couple of years ago. We surpassed the million download mark in 2019, climbing towards 2 million downloads, hovering around 9 or 10K per episode right now. 
And my little podcast that could has kind of grown into a media company. So it's been a really interesting road to monetization from having this podcast be a total passion project turned side hustle, turned a little bit more than side hustle, turned full-time job now. So I've kind of experienced podcasting in every aspect of that. Before this, I was a professional musical theater performer. And in 2020, when the COVID pandemic hit, my career evaporated in front of my eyes. I was in a show yeah. in the city that got shut down. And so in 2020, I started evaluating, okay, what if Bloom and Grow was the full-time thing and maybe singing was the part-time thing instead of you know it being vice versa? And it's been a really fun couple of years of getting my act together. <laughs> the business side of the podcast, which <laughs> was a total passion project. I thought it would be 10 episodes when I first started in 2017. And the downloads kept growing. So we kept making episodes and here we are. That is totally wonderful to hear just a brief synopsis of your story. Now, when it comes to monetization, what are you doing right now? I mean, let's start at the end. Where, where have you arrived and why have you landed there? So right now, we have several different aspects of revenue for Bloom and Grow, the primary one still being niche podcast ad sales to companies in the plant space. So Pat Flynn, I think, was maybe who said it first or some, I don't know who said it first, but I heard from him, the riches are in the niches. So I have a hyper niche podcast with a smaller audience than, you know, Pat Flynn or one of epic mega podcasters, but my listeners are highly motivated and primed for the products that I talk about that are garden and plant centric. So that's the majority of the revenue. I also do affiliate sales. That's either me partnering with products that I love and endorse that I use that if they get sold through coupon code, Bloom and Grow Radio gets a portion of the sales at no you know extra cost to the audience. I also have partnered with different educators who sell courses, and I've done affiliate partnerships that way too, where I actually partner with them on their launches, and I'm a part of a launch of someone else's product in a, like a very strategic way. I have been tapped to speak at different conferences, which has been really fun. Speaker revenue, which is a very interesting intersection of my performing career and my podcasting career, getting up on a stage in a different capacity. And recently, I just launched a paid membership platform. So I think a lot of people in the plant space are wary of Facebook and wary of Instagram and social media and the algorithm. And it was something that I kept hearing about from my community as being a pain point. So I actually created a platform and app space that is subscription-based where my listeners can come and connect and not only be able to just like share their plant journeys, but they can troubleshoot with each other. There's a location finder so you can find other plant friends near you. Um, it's a really fun platform that's going to have several different premium tiers that will launch in the coming months as well. So we also have the community revenue from that. And then also now at this point, I have a YouTube channel as well. So we have the Bloom and Grow YouTube show and Bloom and Grow Radio. <laughs> so a lot of different streams, a lot of things yeah. going on when it yeah. comes to monetization with the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I like how you prefaced it all by saying, you know, you've gotten there through a wandering path. It hasn't been like you originally just thought, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. You just moved into one thing and another. Now let's go back to 2017 when you started. You said you expected maybe 10 episodes would be the length of the podcast's lifespan. First of all, why were you thinking that? What was it that that you thought about podcasting that that led you to believe it might be short-lived? 
Well, I was a full-time musical theater performer, and at the moment, I was on Broadway in Cats. So I was in a Broadway show. My contract there was coming to an end, and I was an avid podcast listener. I was obsessed with podcasts. I was also, at that time, an epic plant killer getting really into houseplants. (laughs) I was trying to nest with my boyfriend. You know, We had a little balcony. I wanted to put a garden on it but I was kind of famous for killing plants all the time and through a bunch of research started bringing plants home. And because I loved podcasts, I thought, well, there's no podcasts for gardening. I keep searching on the iTunes app and I can't find any specifically for houseplants. I'm a novice. It could be interesting to interview like experts about my pain points. And I really thought it would be 10 episodes because it was so niche and because there were no other podcasts about houseplants on the market. I thought, oh, you know what? Like this might actually be too nerdy. And I felt very unique and isolated in like my plant killer ways. And I didn't think that other people were doing the weird things to plants like what I was doing, but I thought it just (laughs) might be like a fun passion project. And I think also in that cocky moment was like, I'm going to book another Broadway show like immediately after this one. Like I'll be lucky if I'll get 10 episodes out, you know, before I'm into my next professional singing adventure adventure. And I didn't book another show immediately and ended up through social media connecting with a lot of plant people. I realized from an early time, Instagram would be a very helpful free marketing tool for the show. I found my community of plant people on the internet, told them about the podcast, and then things kind of took off. And in those first two years, the downloads literally kept doubling like every month. The show was kind of on this crazy trajectory and I accidentally like stumbled on this like super niche area of podcasting. So I don't think I saw the potential. It was really just kind of serving myself in a way because I was like, this will be fun for 10 episodes. I'll learn a lot. You know, my mom might be the only other person that listens to it. But if, you know, 10 people listen to it, then it's my kind of act of service to other millennial plant killers like me. and, And that can be that. And I'll be on Broadway in no time again. Once the downloads had that doubling effect. And once I started hearing back from people on social media and finding so many other people out there like me that I didn't know existed, then I think I started seeing the potential for the longevity of the show. And then from a monetization perspective, that's also where I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot keep paying for this out of my pocket. Like, (laughs) So if you want to talk about monetization from the beginning, I'd say for the first eight months of the show, I was really just paying for everything out of pocket. I also was extremely scrappy with how I started the show. I only watched free tutorials. Shout out to John Lee Dumas's free podcast podcast. I listened to that podcast like six times and just did exactly what he said. And I found some YouTube resources and taught myself how to edit on GarageBand and borrowed a friend's mic for the first 20 episodes. Like I kept it very scrappy. And then I think around that six month mark, I was like watching myself go not into debt, but like I was watching this money coming out of my account every month to support the show. And I realized, okay, I think I need to figure out just how to break even. My website costs $20 a month. Where can I find $20? Libsyn costs $20 a month. Okay, now I got to find $40 and I've got to make $40 a month to kind of float this so I'm not dipping into my hard-earned savings just to, you know, keep the show running. Yeah. And so the first way that I did that was by becoming an Amazon affiliate. I think that's just the lowest hanging fruit for any podcaster or anyone who's even interested in being an influencer. 
because I make random money from those links from 2017 still today because I'm an Amazon partner. And for people who don't know, you apply to be an Amazon partner, you get approved. When I had enrolled, it was as Amazon affiliates. I think they have something called Amazon influencers now. And basically, you can get unique links for each product you talk about and then put them in your show notes and on your blog where your show notes live. And then anytime someone listens to a show and they want to like buy the apple cider vinegar spray, you can spray on plants to deter your cats from eating them, which was something we talked about in episode seven of my show. Now I'm 130 episodes in and that link still gets clicked. You get a very small fraction of sales from whatever revenue that link generates. But over time, especially if you're a podcaster that's putting out new episodes every week or every other week, they really do add up. And also Amazon does this thing where if you went to Amazon to buy that spray, but then you bought a $2,000 TV, they will still credit you for some of that affiliate income. So that was the first way I started monetizing, you know, and whatever was generated from that just went to pay off the Libsyn and the whatever other materials and you know tech stack that you need as a podcaster, which these days it feels endless. And then I took a really great course on affiliate marketing by Pat Flynn and started establishing my own affiliate relationships, realizing that the ones that Amazon gives you are tiny percentages, you know, two to 4%, where when you're in a niche like mine, you can negotiate 20% of sales. So I literally sat in my house. I looked around my apartment. I looked at the grow lights that I like to use. I looked at the soil I liked to use. I looked at all of the products I was already using and thought, hey, I should reach out to these companies. I'm talking about them for free anyway. They provide value. They make products that I know that my listeners need. Maybe I can establish a relationship with them to help support them and support me. And back then that was really exciting because a fun kind of side effect of affiliate marketing is yes, it makes you money, but you realize that you're only making 10% of whatever money you're creating for these other small businesses. And I've had really amazing partnerships with small businesses where we've both grown together and moved up the ranks from affiliate marketing to then much more formal podcast advertisements when we were both in a position where it was time to do more of an ad spend and do that. Many of my first sponsors are still with me three, four years later, which is pretty wild to think about. That is really cool. Let's stop for a moment. I love that you started with affiliate income because like you said, it's low-hanging fruit, especially when you start with something like Amazon that's so simple to set up and most states allow Amazon to be set up. But then you said a few things in there that I think are just key. Number one was you looked around your own house to see what are the things relating to your niche and your your listeners that you feel strongly enough that you would feel good promoting those things. I think that is so important. Many people, when they think about monetization, think too broadly and think, just how can I make money? But if your goal is how to make money rather than how can I serve my audience? A hundred percent. Yeah, you're going to be hawking things to your audience that they don't really need. And they're going to be able to tell that. Tell me how you thought about that when you were reaching out to these companies that you love their product. How did you approach that conversation with them? So I said, you know, in the beginning, those first 10 episodes, it was like a sneaky thing that I did selfishly for myself. Once I started connecting with my listeners around the world, I spent time really getting to know them and realizing that this show is for them. I am them. 
I am my target listener. I'm learning alongside them. I meet them at eye level. I'm asking my experts the questions that they want to know. And so all of a sudden, I become their biggest cheerleader and their advocate. And so it's really important to me that I take that trust and that connection that I've built with them extremely seriously. And for every partnership that I take, I turn down five others. Especially if you're building a niche podcast in a niche space, you have to get extremely comfortable with saying no and walking away in many different capacities, whether people don't want to pay you what you feel like you're worth or people want to work with you and you don't feel good about working with them. Because once you break that trust, people will not only not buy the products, they will stop listening to your show. I went back to John Lee Dumas's free podcast course. He had a great episode that I always recommend people on what's your ideal avatar. And I took that really seriously. I have a five-page document profiling two different target avatar listeners who are my ideal listeners. And whenever I would think about a product, I would think, okay, would my avatar want this? Once I've gotten to know my community much more intimately, now I just think about my 10 super listeners and think, okay, Casey would love this product. Okay. Is Cece going to like this? You know, like these people that I've gotten to know. So I think that's really important and really valuing that relationship and that trust your audience places in you. When I approach brands, The beginning conversations looked like, hey, I've used your product. I'm obsessed with it. And likely I've already talked about it on my show. And maybe if I've shared an Instagram post or a podcast where I gave them a shout out, I would share that with them and then say, here's the demographic of my audience. I feel like your product is perfectly tailored to them. And I'd love to make an affiliate relationship with you. And for them, affiliate relationships are much easier for them to agree to than formal podcast advertising because it's no money up front for them. They're only paying you out on the sales that you generate for them. So if I'm going to generate $2,000 worth of sales for them, they're going to be way more comfortable paying me out on that. Focusing on the value that I bring the listeners and then the value that I would bring the sponsors, you know, the partner saying, hey, this is how I think that you might be able to serve my audience in the way that I'm serving them. And I think that if we partnered together, we'd be able to solve a lot of problems for them. They struggle looking for amazing organic soil. You make amazing organic soil. I'd love to shout your message from the rooftops to them. And then the interesting thing with a lot of those relationships was once I was proving what I was telling them, it made those initial sponsored ad conversations a lot easier because the sponsors also knew, okay, I really know what I'm talking about and I know how to sell their product and they know that my audience is a really good fit for them. So that was kind of unexpected as well. I didn't really realize that's what I was doing when I first set up affiliates. I just was too scared to think about podcast ad sales at that moment. So I started with affiliates because it seemed easier, but it was like a perfect stepping stone to like continue that relationship development with these potential sponsor partners. Yeah. And let's talk about that for a moment. I love, first of all, that you're referring to them as partners Mm -hmm. because you really do have to have that relationship with them that you're viewing as a long-term thing. Oh my God. Yes. If you serve them well as a company by promoting their product well, they're going to want to keep relationship with you over time. Mm -hmm. And that's vital. But I also love this little nuance of doing affiliate first and then transitioning that into a more lucrative, perhaps, advertiser relationship because that affiliate relationship over time enables you to show them their own stats. 
on how successful you've been at selling their product. Exactly. And if they were to up that and you were to provide more for them in terms of promotion and that sort of stuff, what might happen then? That's just a wonderful little nuance that I love. What was your conversation like in moving from affiliate to actual sponsorship? Was it a subtle threat that, hey, I'm not going to be a sponsor anymore if you don't do an advertisement instead of affiliate? Or how did that conversation go? I could hear people saying, well, that feels a little awkward. The first sponsored conversations were really interesting. I, separate from my affiliate relationships, just decided, okay, this is something I want to start doing. How can I provide the most value for all parties for me that I feel like it's enough, you know, worthwhile money to charge for, for the sponsors that, you know, that they're getting enough because I am a niche podcast. So I wasn't promising them a hundred thousand downloads. I was promising them four or 5,000. So I did media packages, not just ads, but I was like, if you're going to partner with me, I want to make sure that I'm blasting you across all my channels. So you're going to get the most value. So they got a podcast ad, but also they got an Instagram post. They were on my website as a partner. You know, I really did see it as a partnership from the beginning. Everybody starts a podcast because they think it's so easy and so fun. And I have so many interesting things to say. You know, everybody tells me I need to make a podcast. And then you realize like it's hard work and it's continued work and it's easy to get burnt out. And then it's easy to all of a sudden be like, what's in it for me? Like instead of just continuing to return to how am I going to serve you? How am I going to tell your story on both sides to your listeners and your sponsors? So I stayed really true to that. Like, how do I provide the most value? Some new people that we pitched like did not see the value in what we were presenting and we didn't work with them. And it's hilarious now because whatever I quoted them back then, those episodes have like 20,000 downloads per episode yeah. now or wherever we're at with them. But I will say it seemed like a natural progression with most of my affiliate partners. I had extremely successful affiliate partnerships because I was only picking brands and products that I knew my audience needed. So it felt like the next natural step. And because I never did threats, but it was very clear that my affiliate marketing was always extremely passive. So you'd get a shout out on the podcast if it was you know, a podcast about grow lights, maybe I'd include your links in the show notes, but it wasn't explicit. And the ads were going to be like dedicated ads where we were able to tell your story. Each ad that I do is bespoke. So you get to choose your marketing points for each ad. I try and do repeat ads. So listeners get to know your company on a much deeper level through the different marketing points that we click. I work very collaboratively with each of the sponsor partners to really make sure that we're highlighting not only aspects about their products, but the fact that they're female founders or that they're hundred percent sustainable or like whatever other things that are important for these companies that you're not going to get with just like a click for 10% off, you know, in the show notes. So I think they saw the value because I think I had kind of already proved it with affiliate marketing. And also we were all growing together. I think too, like it was so fun to see how much money these companies were making. Like we were partners, we were excited about, you know, the results. So it was fun to be like, okay, this is the next step Bloom and Grow is taking. Like, do you want to be part of that journey? Most people were excited to support me in that next way because it really was a collaborative relationship that all parties were invested in. It wasn't just like, here's my CPM and, you know, I'll give you dynamic insertion, like whatever. Those sponsor partners that paid for those 4,000 downloads four years ago, those are baked in ads that now those 
episodes have quadrupled whatever we've promised and they'll live on forever. And those sponsors know that, that they kind of were in on the ground floor of the podcast. So I got very lucky in that capacity for sure. Yeah. Well, that's just super cool to hear. What I'm hearing is the foundation of it all was the relationship. You worked really hard to keep a clear eye on the relationship with your audience and then a clear eye on the relationship with the sponsor and bring those two together in a perfect marriage. Yeah. I just love that approach. Hey, friends, I hope you're finding Maria's story just as interesting and engaging as I did. She has really seen the growth that proves that the hard work she's putting in is what it takes to be successful. And right after this break, you're going to hear me ask her about her membership, which she is starting very, very soon. In fact, by the time you hear this, it may already be rolling. Now, the reason I wanted to ask her about a membership is because I have a private podcasting membership. Some folks who support the show that I'm doing by being partners with me financially, and they help underwrite the cost of that show. And I was very curious to hear what Maria's experience is, what platform she's going to use, and you get to hear all of that. But I wanted to let you know that I've hosted a paid membership for one of my podcasts for over two years now. And my membership, where I call my members supporters or partners, provides members with an additional private podcast feed, some downloadable eBooks. Uh, at some of the higher levels, and then an option for an online group that they can participate in. I started the membership, like a lot of podcasters do, using Patreon. But I found Patreon to be very clunky when it came to providing a private feed for my members. It was so difficult, I had to create a video to show people how to do it. And even then, people who weren't very tech savvy just couldn't get it. So I started looking for a better solution, one that was built for bonus podcast episodes and feeds. And that's when I found Supercast. And you know, I haven't looked back since then. With Supercast, I simply send people to my partner's page and they immediately see a welcome video with me explaining what the partnership is and how it works. And then they scroll down and see the various levels of support. Once they select one of the levels of support that fits their budget, they're able to select the podcast app of their choice and the platform automatically loads their private feed into the player. So they don't have to do anything else. It's very, very easy. And beyond that, Supercast has an amazing pricing model. For every subscriber who signs up to your bonus content, you only pay 59 cents a month, plus the Stripe processing fees. So you can do the math on that. Say you've got a $45 monthly partner, and they're only being charged 59 cents a month plus processing fees. That's not very much for that amount of income. I think if you do the math on it, you'll see it's priced better than any other private podcasting membership platform out there that I can find. And I could go on for another five minutes telling you about all the cool features inside of Supercast. But I want to get you back to this episode with Maria. So here's what I'll do instead. I'm dropping my affiliate link to Supercast in the description for this episode. If you wind up setting up your own Supercast account using that affiliate link, shoot me an email and tell me about it. And I will send you my Supercast features video as a bonus, it's going to walk you through every little bell and whistle in the Supercast dashboard. If your audience growth and engagement leads you to believe that a membership might be right for you, you've got to give Supercast a serious look. And if you're not sure, reach out to me. I'd love to walk you through what makes a membership a good fit for a growing podcast audience. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get back to the conversation with Maria Fiala. 
So sponsorships these days is just part of your monetization. One of the things you mentioned that I, I just found fascinating was you're moving into a membership. Yeah. What sort of platform are you using to pull off a membership? I've just gone through <laughs> a very interesting six months of R&D with my membership community. I landed with Mighty Networks is the platform that I host my community on. It's a wonderful platform. They have wonderful customer service. Mighty Networks made it pretty easy to create the community that I wanted. I had had it in my vision and memory for about a year and just couldn't figure out how to execute on the tech and Mighty Networks made that pretty seamless for me. And we have a low tier that we launched called the Bloom and Grow Garden Party. And basically you get community access and all these things. But the reason why the community came about and for your listeners who are looking to develop different revenue streams, the thing that I've always done with my podcast is gone to my listeners and seen what they've wanted. I do an annual survey on SurveyMonkey. You know, for four weeks, I run at my podcast episodes asking my listeners to take it. And it's always shocking how many people take it and give feedback. And in those surveys, I say, how can I help you on your journey? What product hasn't been developed yet that would help you on your journey? What do you want to see from Bloom and Grow? How can I help you more? And you give them the the box, you know, instead of multiple choice that you can, you know, let them run free and share with you and they share. And something that I was shocked about in 2020, I did a listener survey in 2019 or 2018. And then I did another big one in 2020. And something that was coming up in 2020 over and over and over again that had not come up previously was people not wanting to be on Facebook. And I had a private community for my Patreon supporters on Facebook. And people shared with me that they wanted to support me on Patreon, but they didn't want to be part of the Facebook community. They're not on social media, either for political experiences or mental health experiences. They just want to like be off social media with algorithms like that. And so... Mighty Networks was my kind of answer because I didn't want to build an entire app. But the beautiful thing about this platform is there's no algorithms. You choose what you want to see. And so within my platform, I have all of these different conversation topics, whether it's indoor houseplants, outdoor gardening, planty businesses, like whatever, anything you could imagine regarding plants, like there's a conversation space for that. And people either opt into those conversations or out. And once I launched this community, I have also since pulled, I'm always polling my listeners. I'm always talking to them. I'm always sending them Google forms to fill out for me. But one of the biggest pieces of feedback is that they're just so happy to have this like private community with these like-minded plant friends. And we have pretty strict community guidelines. So, you know, there's a lot of offensive language in the plants space that is problematic for many different reasons. A lot of people don't have the education to why certain nicknames for plants are offensive. And we do a lot of education up front to say, hey, listen, these are the words that are absolutely not allowed in our platform. This is what will happen if you accidentally use them. And we've created like a very safe space. And I think people really appreciate that. Also, what I've realized is I'm a connector. The community is why I'm here. I'm here to help us all grow, but also all grow together. So the community platform was kind of a no-brainer as our next step. And we're going to be launching some really cool educational higher tier aspects to help the listeners dive even deeper on their journey if they want more content in addition to the free podcast that I produce for them. But very much recommend Mighty Networks You know, if anyone is looking to do that model. Yeah, Mighty Networks, I've only heard good things about. So it's good to hear another testimonial. 
What is your your pricing for that first tier of community? We did a seven day launch where I believe it was four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine to pay annually. And I was shocked that fifty percent of the people who signed up, we had about two hundred people sign up from the get go, chose the annual subscription. Wow! And I think four ninety nine felt nice because it's as much or less than a fancy cup of coffee to get really next level kind of support and connection from like-minded plant people. Also, if you think about how much people spend on plants a month, it's like nothing. (laughs) And an annual subscription is basically as much as an eight-inch houseplant, which is kind of how we positioned it. And then there's going to be some premium tiers that launch in a couple of months that are going to be much higher price point, but they're also going to get unbelievable educational opportunity from it. Uh, Something to think about that I've heard another podcaster do that has just been a game changer for him is in terms of retention of members in his membership, he has created kind of a grandfather clause in his membership criteria and rules that if someone comes in at $4.99, for instance, and someday in the future, the price goes up to $7.99, they stay at $4.99 as long as they remain a member. But if they ever leave and come back, they'll have to go to the $7.99. It's encouraged people just to hang around because they're getting such value. They don't want to leave because their budget's tight and then come back later and have to pay more. Totally. It's been very interesting. Now, in your membership community right now, it sounds like the main perk is the relationship and interaction with other members Mm -hmm. and the support that they receive there. What are you considering putting into your premium tiers? I'm partnering with an amazing horticulturalist. We'll have a horticulturalist in residence, and we're creating exclusive educational deep dive content for people. It'll be a place where if you're kind of an intermediate plant parent or maybe even a beginner plant parent, but you really want to set yourself up for success from the beginning and you enjoy listening to a bunch of podcasts, but you really want like deep dives on the science of like like how does photosynthesis work? I'm 30. I haven't been in science class in two decades. Remind me about photosynthesis. And then how does that translate to a grow light? And when buying a grow light, what do I need to know about, you know, the photosynthetic spectrum and how do I buy a grow light and where do I position my plants? Like all of the really juicy deep dives that a lot of plant people want because we go really deep with our hobby. But once again, like that has come from consistently polling my listeners and asking for what they want and them telling me, hey, your podcast deep dives are like some of my favorite, like more deep dives, more deep dives. And you can only do so much in a 50 minute episode that's aural that you can't give visual help with. But man, if me and this amazing horticulturalist I'm working with can put like amazing audio visual like presentations together and spend the time to do it and have, you know, this vault of resources that we're going to offer everybody in this premium membership to kind of accelerate their learning to take it to the next level. And we're still figuring out what the pricing of that is going to look like, but it's going to be next level and exclusive. And also there's going to be probably a book club as well. So a couple of other fun perks. And I always pull my listeners when I have like a big interview on a really specific, highly requested topic. I always pull them to see if they have any questions. And right now my Patreon members get priority for who gets to ask questions and who doesn't. And so I think the premium garden society is what it's going to be called. The garden society members will also have like first dibs at asking questions, early access to any in-person or virtual events that I do outside of the garden society. So they're going to be my go-to people. 
That sounds brilliant. I think that one of the pieces of advice I've received about the monetization piece of podcasting that I think is just gold is to think of what your listeners are there for in the first place and then give them more of that. Yeah, totally. Because that's that's why they listen in the first place and why they follow you. Maria, this may be a kind of a hard question for you to answer, but I want you to be as as introspective as you can and see what comes out of this. Why do you think your journey and your specific approach to plants and and raising plants resonated with your audience so well? I love this question. It's very interesting because it was what I thought my biggest Achilles heel was when I had started out was that I'm not a horticulturalist and I don't know the plant care answers. When I started out, I did not know anything about plant care. I was accidentally killing plants (laughs) actively when I started the podcast. And I think that I, from the get-go, very vulnerably shared this journey with the listeners of Something I always love to say is I asked Joe Lample, who's like one of the most famous TV gardening personalities, what mulch was, which is like basic gardening 101, like what mulch is. But I got to interview him on my fifth episode and I didn't know. So I asked, you know, the gardening guru what mulch was. And I think my listeners saw that and that I was willing to share and interview and grow in a very kind of vulnerable, shameless way, like Now I've realized like that is my special sauce. I think that's what people connected to. I think they come to the show to get questions that they're nervous to ask answered. And now I like really roll with it. I feel like now that I've been podcasting and interviewing for five years, I've learned a thing or two about plant care, but I still just always think about back then when I still didn't know any of this, like how, what would I ask and how can I support the least informed listener in the room? Because I know that from speaking to so many different listeners around the world, caring for plants can change your life. It will help you disconnect from your screens, reconnect with nature, reconnect with yourself. It'll help clear space for yourself to clear your mind and reacquaint yourself with your soul. I know that about plants. I know that plants can heal because I know they did them for me and they did them for so many other people. So if that's the end goal, I'm happy to kind of just make myself look like a knucklehead asking about what photosynthesis is as many times as possible to, you know, to help as many people do that. So I think that that was a big thing. I also think I'm a little cheesy, a little nauseatingly cheesy. If you look at the reviews on iTunes, <laughs> I have either a lot of really glowing reviews and a few people who who I'm not their cup of tea because I'm also very positive and I think plants have a lot of life lessons that they can teach us if you look for them. I think that's also something that resonates with a lot of people. So yeah, I th- and what I see this with many of my entrepreneurial friends is like what you think is your biggest weakness is actually your biggest superpower and you kind of just have to lean into it. And every vulnerable thing that I've done with my audience has always panned out. Even just launching my Patreon account a couple of years ago. You know, when I was first monetizing the show, I had a lot of insecurities about asking the listeners for yeah. money, asking sponsors for money, setting a price for ads, it felt weird because this was my passion project and it was my active service and it felt weird. You know, who am I? I'm not a horticulturalist. Who am I to like ask for money for this? And I think there are several different societal things that kind of had me in that small space and launching my Patreon and having a hundred or 200 people sign up on day one, writing me being like, we're so happy you launched this. We're so happy to support you. You know, when 
I had such scarcity and lack of confidence around it. It's been a very interesting road, but you, you know, time and time again, those insecurities and what I think is going to be an issue. And I'm going to launch this Patreon and everybody's going to think I sold out and hate me and everyone's going to unsubscribe to my show. And, you know, in fact, it was like the absolute opposite. And I think a lot of podcasters, I don't know if now, I think now people get into podcasting sometimes thinking that they'll make a lot of money quickly. And then it's actually educating them in the reverse saying like, Hey, this is actually a slow burn and it's going to take a while. But I think for the people who got into podcasting when I did four or five years ago, like it was still such a wild West, like everybody was still figuring it out. And I know you've been podcasting even longer. I'm sure you can relate. Sure. Totally. You know, you, we were all just kind of figuring it out and being like, can we ask for money for this? I don't know. (laughs) Is that a thing? Are people doing that? (laughs) Like if you're not on NPR, you know? So yeah, it's definitely been an interesting ride. I love that. A phrase I heard said one time is that confidence grows in the soil of success and success grows in the soil of mistakes. I love that. I hear that in your journey. I mean, you made mistakes. You didn't let them deter you. You kept pushing, you kept learning, you kept growing, and you experienced some level of success. And from that came confidence to take the next step. And I kept serving too. You just keep serving the audience. You keep going back to the audience no matter what. I think that's a really important thing to keep returning to. I agree. And then as you've already illustrated, once you did start sponsorships, you turned that focus on service toward them. Mm -hmm. And how can I serve them? How can I help them be successful? Because this whole thing is really a synergy. I mean, there's a sense in which I hate that word. But it really is. If they're successful, you're successful. Totally. And if you're successful, they're successful. It just, it feeds each other. And when you view them like true collaborative partners, I think about this company, Soul Tech Solutions, a grow like company I started work with. They're like epic. They're killing it now. But we joke that our first call, none of us knew what we were talking about on our first call being like, <laughs> oh, yes, I was wondering, would you like to join an affiliate partnership with me? And they were like, sure, we would love to join this affiliate partnership with you. And like neither of us knew. It was like our first pitch call on on both sides. It's funny. But now they're doing amazing and they do big campaigns with us. And I was the spokesperson for, you know, a commercial that they shot. And we've grown in other ways that it's just so much more fun doing business that way, like growing alongside of each other instead of like, what can I get out of you? And what can I get out of you? It's so special. When you're able to look at those sponsor partners as friends Mm -hmm. and as companions on the journey, it kind of takes the tension out of the financial part of it Mm -hmm. because you both know you're headed to a a mutually profitable, mutually lucrative place and you're having fun in the journey. Yeah. And also thinking too, like I have sponsor partners call sometimes saying, can I just have 30 minutes of your time? Like we're developing this new product and we want to hear what you think about it because- you know your audience. I always offer those for free and I always happy to hop on the call. But when you can bring them ideas for like how they could make their businesses better, you know, and really feel like that, it does take the pressure off and it does just make it more fun. Well, I love all that you've shared, Maria. I think there's so much here for podcasters to learn, whether they're brand new podcasters or somewhere along the journey already. Monetization can be both a panacea for some people in their minds and also of just a big threat to Mm -hmm. others in their minds. And I think it's important for us to just hear it realistically that it's a journey. And terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying terrifying putting your heart and soul. I mean, 
my fiance ended up coaching me a little bit when I had started trying to pitch these media packages, my first round of ad sales that I did, like official ad sales, because I would take calls with these CEOs of companies and pitch and they would like tear my pitch apart. And I would just sit on the couch like crying after because as a podcaster, your heart and soul is in the show and it's very hard to sell yourself. It's very hard to put your business hat on and assert your worth and you know, I think I had a lot of also like female issues with how I was kind of conditioned as well, you know, that I just had to serve and not ask for what I needed to be able to do that. And he was really helpful in helping me see that it's an opportunity. It's not a product. Like I'm creating an opportunity for brands to connect with my audience and my audience to connect with these brands. Cause you hear from your audiences too. Like, thank God you introduced me to this grow light because it saved my fiddly fig tree or whatever. It's not easy. And I I think sometimes it's easy for people to listen to a show and say, hey, they have so many ads. Like, how did they get them? They're so successful. It's all those things. But I think any podcaster, all the podcasters I know, certainly experience a little bit of confusion and growing pains when it comes to monetizing, especially if you choose to continue the indie route and not sign with a very large advertising company who will then take a very large portion of your profits, where I think there's that totally makes sense at, you know, different points of people's lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Now, one more thing I want to touch on just because I remember you mentioning it. You said that your advertisements for your sponsors are bespoke. Okay. I'm oh, going to play the ignorant. Sure. What it means Tell to us me. what that word means to you and what it means practically. So it's not like you buy four ads on four podcasts, but I'm just reading the same ad script. I have an onboarding call with the sponsors and it's like a whole crafting thing. So we have a marketing call. We discuss their objectives. We discuss what they want people to walk. You know, I always ask, what are the three things you want someone to walk away from an ad, like knowing about you guys, like beyond your products, or if it's just the products, like what do you want them to know? We talk about the arc of what an ad run is going to look like. So ad number one airing on this date, we're going to hit these marketing points. Ad number two on this date, we're going to hit these marketing points and try to kind of tell a story through the arc of an ad campaign instead of just having it. And I rarely have sponsors write the ad copy for me. I like to, it takes so much more time and it's arduous sometimes to write all of the copy for all of your sales stuff. But I like to kind of completely have my hands on crafting the ad because I want to be able to say it in the most authentic way possible. Also, for people getting into ad sales, I always request 30 days with a product before I talk about it because I just think it's so much easier to talk about the product and therefore hopefully convert more when you're like authentically discussing it and not just doing that. And I know that there's several different modes of thought there. And I know that some people really just want to have it like a radio show where they're just reading an advertisement and that works for some people as well. But for me, where I'm so invested in my listenership, it would feel crazy for me to just like read, you know, a scripted ad. I want it to be in my voice and, you know, with my enthusiasm. Yeah. When you put it in the context of the relationship with your listener and the trust you're building and all that, I don't see any other way to do it than to be able to have experience with the product and actually genuinely, authentically be enthusiastic about what it is you're talking about. Yeah. Your audience will definitely pick up on that and it would benefit the sponsor as well for you to be able to handle their product that way. Well, Maria, this has been a delight. I love hearing more about the behind the scenes journeys of clients and you've been a great client. Let me just say publicly here, thank you 
for all of your support of us. We've been we've been so blessed with your podcast and and the relationship we developed. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm the problem child of podcast fast track. <laughs> oh my god. Always goodness. like I'm running three days late. <laughs> but I have to return my admiration for podcast fast track because I feel like you guys really understand what it's like to be a podcaster and your guest cancels on you and the deadline to get the audio is the next day and now you have to wait and now your poor editor, you know, has to kind of bear the brunt of that. But through my growing pains of also growing systems in my business, which is something I've never had and, you know, organizing my content, um, you guys have definitely been there with me along the whole journey. So I appreciate your understanding and flexibility when it <laughs> when it comes to dealing with my yeah. insanity. Yeah. You described earlier how you grew with your sponsors and you can, you know, we've kind of done the same 100%. thing. hundred percent. You've way. grown with me so much. <laughs> Man, if you think you're the problem child, I could tell you some stories. Oh my goodness. Okay. I feel better. You are nothing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, feel better. Yeah. Well, Maria, uh, you mentioned your show is Bloom and Grow Radio. You have Bloom and Grow on YouTube as well. What is your preferred social media channel? Where would you like people to reach out to you if they have questions? I'm Bloom and Grow Radio across the board. On Inst- Instagram is probably my largest following if people hang on Instagram. We're trying TikTok. We're trying to figure that out. Um, YouTube. Yeah. The podcast is where you'll get to know. You'll be served most authentically and deeply if you are curious about plant care. But a great way to get to know my content is I actually have a free plant parent personality test. So it takes three minutes to take. It's completely free. You take it and I kind of diagnose you with what your plant parent personality is. And then I give you a recommended list of plants, projects, and podcasts that are curated to your specific personality type and lifestyle. So I believe that your plants should work for your lifestyle. Your lifestyle shouldn't work for your plants. I think that's a huge reason why a lot of people kill plants and unknowingly like don't understand why they can't, you know, care for plants successfully. And it's just that they're picking the wrong plants for their environment or their lifestyle. So I've created this really fun resource. And if you take the test, I'll send you a bunch of free, you know, educational resources and you can kind of figure out the best way that you want to interact with me for your lifestyle. Yeah, that sounds both creative and very helpful. So thank you for that. And also, I would just encourage listeners, if you want to hear the sponsorship, especially the sponsorship content in its final form, go and listen to Bloom and Grow and listen to how Maria does her ads. We just sold all our ad space for the rest of 2021. Very exciting week this week. How exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maria, my best to you. I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Carrie, for your continued support. Absolutely. Hello? If you were to talk with Maria now, you would never know that she started out where she did. She's had such great experience and she's been able to build a platform and a loyal audience that is to be envied by anybody. But she started out not even knowing if her show was going to make it more than eight episodes. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. It gives me encouragement that anyone who's willing to put in the time and the effort like Maria has can develop a podcast that truly serves their audience and repays them with some good monetization in the end. I'd love to hear from you what you thought of this episode. Please reach out to me, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, at podcastfasttrack.com. That's all the time we have for today. Go out and make it a podcastificating day. 
This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track, where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at podcastfasttrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.